Would you uh, take the Word of God with me this evening and turn to the book of Exodus in chapter 13. Exodus uh, chapter 13. Uh, we um, have been studying through the book of Exodus and thus far we saw from the very beginning that the Lord has solved the affliction of the people and so He raised up uh, Moses to be the instrument of deliverance, although God says, I will deliver, but He used Moses to bring about, um, or to to be His mouthpiece, uh, to speak uh, to Pharaoh. And we saw that um, God told Moses before uh, the plagues would come that um, Pharaoh would not listen. God didn't say to Moses it would be ten plagues, but Moses would have to trust the Lord and Uh, Finally, on the 10th plague, the Lord announced that this would be the last plague. And um, that evening was uh, called uh, the Passover. And around the Passover was instituted the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And uh, we talked about how there is uh, really some of those things are shadows for us in the New Testament. Uh, We understand that according to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, that Jesus Christ is our Passover. And so those things are shadows of things to come, and we uh, talked quite a bit in Exodus chapter 12 about the institution of the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, that the children of Israel are to hold the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread as a memorial of what happens so that they can teach their children, children, knowing that their children are not going to experience the ten plagues like they experienced or the great hand of God of deliverance. They're not going to experience that. But God saw fit to tell them to teach their children. And God has designed for us today to also to pass that along to our children. God has designed or uh, ordained that we teach the next generation the things that God has done for us. And um, in uh, chapter 13, we learn something new about the Feast of Unleavened Bread when it's going to be observed. He talked about uh, dedicating or sanctifying the firstborn Uh, both of every household of man, but also of beast. And he's going to add something to the Passover and to the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that is, if you remember, he mentioned that uh, every year uh, they would select uh, an ass as a representative of the firstborn of the family and that they would offer a lamb for the ass, and if there was no lamb to be offered for the ass, then the ass's neck was broken. Now that was representative of the firstborn son, and the firstborn son would ask every year, why are you doing this? And so every year, uh, when the ass was spared, he says, well, that represents how we were delivered. And if uh, the ass's neck was broken, it says, well, For those who did not have a lamb, they died. And so there is, if you would, a a reliving of the Passover. There would be a reliving of the Passover every year. Now, differently, obviously it's not the exact same thing, but the point is there's only one Passover that happened there. They would not have to slay the lamb every year and put blood on the doorpost. That was a one-time event, but they're to commemorate that over and over again. And so again, in beginning of chapter 13, he's talking about when you get to the Lamb, that's what you're going to do. 
Now, in the remainder of Exodus chapter 13 here, we're going to read the remainder of the chapter, uh, verse 17 down to verse 22, and we read about them departing from the land and what God is going to do in this departure. So let's stand together for the reading of God's Word out of reverence and respect for God and His Word. I appreciate uh, you doing that. And we uh, started doing that a few months ago. Um, and I think it's important for us. There is a lack today, it's evident, a lack of reverence for God and His Word in churches today. And so we do this not because we want to be different, but because we want to make clear that we honor the Lord and His Word. Uh, he, God says that He honors His Word above His own name. That's what the Lord says. And so we want to do that. Stamp. So let's uh, read here, Exodus 13, verse 17. The Bible says, And it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them, not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, Lest peradventure the people repent when they see war, and they return to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. The idea of harnessed is equipped to battle uh, soldiers. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones away hence with you. And they took their journey from Succoth and encamped in Etham in the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud and led them the way, uh, to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. I'd like to bring your attention here in verse 21. The Bible says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud. So I'd like to preach this evening on uh, this uh, thought. The Lord in a pillar of a cloud. The Lord in a pillar of a cloud. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You that You revealed Yourself to us. And we don't, want, we, we don't need to wonder uh, what you want us to know. It's right here for us in your word. Uh, Lord, although uh, many things in the Old Testament are uh, not primarily applied to us, we know that they are a shadow of things to come. And they have wonderful pictures of how you work in our lives. And so I pray that you would help us to learn from this text uh, in a practical way so that we might apply uh, your word to our lives. And we ask a blessing on this message. May it uh, be delivered with clarity uh, so that it can be practiced. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So this is the actual departure here. And as we looked over the last few chapters, we know in chapter 12 there is the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and Pharaoh sending the people out. And there's a lot of you know, back and forth between uh, God sending them out to God telling Moses, this is what you're going to do. You're going to observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread every year. Uh, when you get to the land, you're going to do this. Uh, there is the 10th plague that is mentioned in chapter 10. So a lot of details here as to what happened at the Passover, what is instituted from the Passover moving forward, 
what is to be interesting when they get to the land, uh, how God brought about their deliverance. And now we get to the, the practical part of how are they leaving the land? Where are they going? How do they know where they're going? And so we find some, I think, valuable information that we can, I think, learn from. And, and there is a sense where this passage gives us really a, a shadow of really what is to come with regards to what happens in our lives. How are we redeemed and how are we led and guided in this world today? And so I believe there are some things that we can take from uh, this passage here. But let's begin here where uh, verse 17 begins. And we see here uh, that they're leaving the land here. It came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God, notice, led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, let's peradventure the people repent that uh, when they see war and they return to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And so what we learn here as we, we're going to get to the part where uh, how did God practically lead them. But here we have a, a summary statement as to what direction did God bring them and what direction to our amazement or to the amazement of anybody who would read that and who would look at a map, we would say, well, why would God take them the opposite direction of where they need to go? And we actually have the information contained in those verses. Now, twice, once in verse 17, one in verse 18, the Bible says, God led them. Twice, we understand that this would be the leading of God, and this is the wonderful thing about God, what He would do with the children of Israel. He not only delivered them from Egyptian bondage, but now that they are free, He does not leave them to themselves. He's going to lead them. Now we're going to see specifically how He's going to lead them, uh, but nonetheless He's going to lead them. And there is a sense today for us who are redeemed from the bondage of sin, uh, God not only saves us, but also He desires to guide and direct us. Uh, the Bible says that, a good, uh, the, that uh, a good man's steps are ordered by the Lord. And so God leads us. He not just wants to redeem us, but He also wants to lead us in this life. And that's a wonderful thing. Now I want you to notice several things about God's leading. The first thing we read here is that God took them through an unexpected route. Um, actually, it's clearly explained in the text. You don't have to really look at a map because God says it in His Word right here when He says that God led them through the way of the land of... did not lead them through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. So if you look at a, a map of Egypt, and I'll turn around uh, to where you're facing, if you have Egypt here, so north of Egypt is the Mediterranean Sea, and if you go eastward... Uh, you would go straight eastward, so they were north of the land of Egypt. If you go straight eastward and go up, that's where uh, the prom Canaan was. But going to Canaan, you would have the land of Philistia. That was the land where the Philistines dwell. And so that would mean that if you took the shortest route to the promised land, you would have to go through the, lands, uh, through the land of the Philistines. And God says that He did not take them through that route, although that was near. 
Now, immediately we may pause here and think to ourselves, well, wouldn't it make sense for God to bring them uh, through the land the, the nearest way, the quickest way to get to the promised land? There would be perhaps an anticipation for the children of Israel at this point to get to the promised land. Uh, and by the way, we know when they eventually get to the promised land, the first battle they have is the walls of Jericho come down. It's not like they did a whole lot as far as physically speaking. They trusted the Lord. They walked around uh, the city. Uh, we know they shouted, the trumpet sounded, all those things. But the point is that God uh, made the walls come down. So we might think to ourselves here, well, what, what is this about? Why would God not straightly bring them through the land of the Philistines and... Um, and then God could defeat them like He did the walls of Jericho. So why take them through an unexpected route? And I think what we learned here is that uh, God's ways are not man's ways. They're just not. And I think we all know that often we, we course our own lives and we have our ideas of where our life ought to lead us. We may even have our own ideas about how God is going to work things out in our lives. But I think often we are mistaken. And we learn in retrospect why God brought us through a journey that was unexpected. And so here God, the children of Israel are not going to have to wander here. Moses is probably asking the Lord, where are we going? And he says, well, we're going to Canaan, but we're not going the quickest route. We're going to go the opposite direction. So if you went from Egypt, it would be northeastward. They're going to go southeast. And so they're not going to go in the same direction. As a matter of fact, if you look at a map, they're going to go down through the wilderness wanderings and then they come back up around. They're going to be east, uh, yes, east of the promised land. Then they're going to come in from the east side instead of from the west side, which would be the natural way. And so God here took them through an unexpected route. We also see that God understood their weakness. Notice what the Bible says in verse 17 that the Bible says, God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest pure adventure, the people repent. That means they, they change their mind when they see war and they return to Egypt. And so I think here we ask ourselves here, now we know what happens when they get to the promised land. God is going to uh, bring about a great victory. The walls of Jericho are going to come down. But the idea here is that by the way, the first time they're about to go into the promised land, remember they spied out the land and they bring report. And remember what many of them said, 10 out of the 12, we are not able. And so God would take them through another 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. But it seems here clear to me that when God says, I'm not going to take them straight to the land of the Philistines, they're going to have to learn some things before they get there. Why? Because I'm, I, I, per adventure, the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. And so it seems to me here that God did not take them straight through the land of the Philistines to the promised land because God knew their weaknesses. And so when we think about God taking them through an unexpected route, it is connected to the truth that God understood their weakness. And we have to realize by faith, it's a faith step, that when God brings about an unexpected route in our lives, it is often for our good and for our best. Why? Because God knows our weaknesses. God knows what we can handle, when we can handle it. And often God often takes us through a process to get to the place where He wants us to be. 
So what we have to do is two things. First of all, we have to trust the Lord, that God knows what He's doing. And we have to be willing to learn the lessons on the journey that prepare us to the destination. And so God took them through an unexpected route. We see God understood their weaknesses, but also we see that God would develop their dependence. What is mentioned here for us in verse 18 is this, but God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. (laughs) So if you're going to take, now we talked about their number, there's at least less 2 million people. And so if you're going to take 2 million people, My guess is human understanding would say, don't go in the wilderness. Go to a place where there's plenty. Go to a place where you can easily find food. Go to a place where you can uh, be cared for and taken care of. No, God is going to take them here through the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea to do what? Why would you take them through the wilderness? I think there's only one reason for that, and we will learn that later. That's why I'm making the statement now in light of what we know in the future is God is going to develop their dependence on God. Now, you remember, no water. They murmur, they complain for water. God gives them water out of the rock. God turns the bitter waters of Marah into sweetness. We know that when they were looking for food, God provided manna. But you remember what God said? He says, uh, uh, he says I provided you manna in the book of Deuteronomy so that you might learn that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. What is that idea? Is you need to learn every single day. By the way, God did not provide the manna and said, all right, stock up for the next month. He said, take only what you need for today. And then tomorrow I will provide for you. So the temptation of the, the children of Israel would be one day when there's, there's manna say, well, I don't know if we're, God is trustworthy tomorrow, and so I'm going to stock up for tomorrow too. So what are they learning? They're going to learn in the wilderness to depend on the Lord. Now I want you to think about that. Here, is the, here are the people of Israel They've been in bondage for 400 years. They're coming out. They're free. They're rejoicing. And they take an unexpected route. Because God knows their weakness. And He's going to do that to develop their dependence on God. You see, there's something that we all have a problem with. We are all by nature, we want to be independent of God. There's something about us that says, I'm going to prove to people that I can do this on my own. I'm going to prove to people that I can pull myself up by my bootstraps and then I can get through this thing that is called life and I don't need God. Now, we may not verbalize it, but often we may act like it. And we want God to take us where we want Him to take us uh, because we don't sense any weaknesses in us and because we don't think that we're dependent on Him. And so here we see that God is going to lead them in an unexpected way because of their weakness that they might learn dependence on the Lord. Now, I think that there is a way that that relates to us today. I think that if you perhaps look at your life and you go back to when you were maybe in your teenage years or early 20s, you may have thought about your life in the future, and I'm sure that all of you had ideas about what the future held, and I'm pretty sure that if we asked everybody here is, what you expected to happen did not happen. Whether you were a believer at that time or an unbeliever. That uh, life often takes some unexpected turns. And we also know that through difficulties and through unexpected turns in our lives, I think what has revealed to us is our weaknesses. Because the truth is, I know that you may not like to hear that, I may not like to hear that, 
But the truth is we are weak people. And we must acknowledge our weaknesses. And when we acknowledge our weakness, that's when we learn to depend on the Lord. And so in verse 19, he says, um, And Moses took the bones of Joseph. And so we see that God leads them, and there's something that's added to us here. Now, it may seem, uh, what is this, seems to be a random piece of information, but it's not random at all. I think it's rightly placed. By the way, it's placed by God. But notice, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he straightly sworn, for he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, Joseph did, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones away hence with you. Now, I want you to hold your place here and turn with me back to Genesis chapter 50. Now remember, some of um, what we read early on in the book of Exodus is that there arose a Pharaoh over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now, if you lived during the time of Joseph, there would no doubt be a, a spirit of gratefulness and thanksgiving for Joseph. Uh, because he, what he did and what he implemented saved not just the land of Egypt, but also much of the world, of uh, worldwide famine. Now, at the end here of the book of Genesis, though, in verse 22, uh, the Bible says, And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house, and Joseph lived an hundred and ten years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knees. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he sware to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And so we see here two things, that Joseph gave a prophecy based upon what God told Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. And he says that God's going to visit you and God's going to bring you out of this land, which he swore unto the land that he swore unto Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he made the children take an oath to do that. And so this is the fulfillment of the oath. Now, why would they be mentioned here? Well, I think there is, um, there we see that uh, this would be an impact, first of all, it communicates two things. It communicates, first of all, the faith of Joseph. Because notice he says, he doesn't say, now if we leave the land, you take my bones. He says, when God visits and brings you out, I want you to take an oath that you will take my bones. That is a statement of faith in his death. Uh, you see, he thought about the promise that God made to Abraham and if you would, of this prophecy that uh, the people, the descendants of Abraham would be in a foreign land for 400 years and that God would bring them out with a great substance by a mighty hand out of Egyptian bondage. And Joseph, apparently he knows this and he is looking by faith into the future even though he's about to die and he makes the children of Israel swear. And so it talks about really, it shows us, uh, it calls us to appreciate the faith of Joseph but it also causes us to appreciate the faithfulness of God. That God did what He said He would do. And this is recorded for us for that moment in Exodus chapter 13, uh, where uh, the Bible says that Moses took the bones of Joseph. He didn't forget about that. For he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones uh, away hence uh, with you. And so I think that, again... This comes right after he says, God's going to lead you in an unexpected way because of your weakness so that you might learn dependence on God. And just so we think about the example of Joseph, by the way, didn't his life take an unexpected turn? 
You remember what Joseph said at the, when his brothers, and he finally revealed himself, he, he said, uh, he says, uh, ye sold me, but God sent me. Well, which one, which one is it? It's both. It's both. God used the fact that Joseph was sold as a slave, but really he was on, a, on an assignment for God. And God used him. And his last statement of Joseph is a statement of faith. A faith in what? In the faithfulness of God. And so this is, I think, uh, in the right place for the children of Israel who are about to leave. And what do they learn? Well, remember Joseph and his faith and remember the faithfulness of God. Because you're about to go in an unexpected way, unexpected route, and you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But God is trustworthy. You need to have faith in Him, just like Joseph did. But now we get to the part here where we learn about how practically are they going to be led of the Lord. Notice verse 20. And they took their journey from Sukkoth and encamped in Etham in the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them away, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. And He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Now there's no doubt there's much here to say here, but... If you remember from the very beginning here, because now we are at the, play, uh, at the place, there's a progression here. Uh, from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, or Exodus chapter 1, we saw that God saw the affliction. And so then God raised up Moses, and we know that the children of Israel would be delivered from Egyptian bondage, and the deliverance was based on the Passover, which is the sacrifice of the Lamb. And now that they're delivered, now they have the pillar of cloud, which represents the presence of God that's going to lead them. And so I think here for us, what we have is a really a shadow a, or a representation here, because God heard the groaning of the children of Israel, and He raised up a deliverer for the people. And that's a picture of the Father. And then when we, and by the way, the Father, we know for us, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, uh, to die for our sins. Uh, he saw us in our sorrow and our sin, and He sent Jesus Christ, His Son, to die for our sins. And then we know that the Passover lamb, remember, after the ten, on the tenth plague, the Passover lamb was necessary to accomplish their deliverance from Egyptian bondage. Well, we know what the Passover lamb is. It is representative of the Son, Jesus Christ. The Son is the one who purchased our redemption. But now we come to the pillar of cloud, which is leading them through the wilderness to the promised land. And I believe here that this is a shadow or a representation of God, the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit, we know as believers, is the one who dwells within us and the one who guides us. And so... As we look here at the idea here, I want to look in our text and what is mentioned, but also uh, tread a little bit on the what is not mentioned, but what is really assumed as we think about how that compares to us today. Uh, and so there are two preliminary takeaways from this pillar of cloud, which are not explicitly stated in our text, but it is, I think, clearly demonstrated. And the first thing we learn um, is that the pillar of cloud, notice, was not given... Uh, what was only given after they had been delivered from God's Passover, through God's Passover. Do you notice? The cloud was not there during the ten plagues. 
The presence of God was not manifested. Although people saw the plagues, they, they saw the wonders in Egypt, uh, there was no, nothing that was representative of the presence of God, but they were able to see uh, the pillar of cloud by day and by night, the pillar of fire. And, but that all, understand, that only happened after what? After the Passover. After they were delivered. And so the timing is important because I think here there's a shadow of what it means for us today that we cannot be guided by the Holy Spirit or indwelt by the Holy Spirit in this life until we first trust Jesus Christ as our Savior who is our substitute on the cross of Calvary. And so until the Passover happens in our lives, uh, there is no guidance of the Holy Spirit. And so we see here that the pillar of cloud was given only after they had been delivered through God's Passover. The second thing we learn is that the pillar of cloud, now this is not explicitly stated in our text, but the pillar of cloud was also provided by God's gracious hand. Now the reason why I say that is Scripture here does not indicate that the children of Israel, nor Moses, asked God to provide some visible direction, some cloud, some pillar of cloud, or some pillar of fire, the idea of them being led of God by the pillar of cloud, or by the pillar of fire, that was God's doing. It was not man's request. It was what God ordained to lead the children of Israel. You see, God brought them out out of Egyptian bondage, to do what? To lead them. <laughs> That's why he brought them out. You remember when they asked Pharaoh, the first time they asked Pharaoh, hey, would you let the people go? Well, what's the reason? That they may serve God. And I've repeated this over and over again, but the theme keeps coming up. Uh, they were set free to serve. And it is the same with us today. We are saved to serve. We are not saved so that we can live our life as we please and conduct our own business outside of God. We are saved that we might serve God and submit ourselves to God. And so the amazing thing here is that the pillar of cloud was provided by God's gracious hand. And for us today as believers, we know that God not only saves us by the blood of His Son Jesus Christ, but He also, by His grace, gives us the Holy Spirit to indwell us and to guide us in this life. That is by God's grace. No man had asked of that of God, but God has graciously given that. And He did so for the children of Israel. Now as we look now, that's, uh, uh, again, this is not explicitly stated in our text, but I think we can all see that that is clear. But it, now let's talk about what the text does mention. In verse 21, he says here, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud. So what we learn here is that the pillar of cloud was given that they might know that the Lord was with them. That's what the Bible says. And the Lord went before them. So understand, when we think about how they were led, it's not just, well, it was a pillar of a cloud. No, no, the Bible says the Lord went before them. Now, how was the Lord's presence manifested? It was manifested in a pillar of a cloud. But nonetheless, when the children would, of Israel would see the pillar of a cloud, uh, they would know that God was with them. And so they would know that God was the one that was leading them. And so the pillar of cloud was, if you would, a visible sign of the Lord's presence with Israel. Now, 
When we think about the pillar of cloud, what, what is exactly is that? Well, there is a few scripture that uh, gives us some indication. If you turn uh, just the one chapter over, Exodus chapter 14, uh, notice with me verse 24. What is this uh, pillar of a cloud? He mentions it, a pillar of fire, a pillar of cloud. What is that? Well, if you go with me to Exodus 14, notice verse 24. And it came to pass that in the morning watch, the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians, notice, through the pillar of fire and of the cloud, and troubled the host of the Egyptians. So notice here, God looked to the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of cloud. Now, sometimes, and I'm, I'm not trying to ruffle feathers here, but sometimes people say, well, it changed to fire at night and it was a cloud by day and fire by night. No, it, it remained the same. It was always a cloud. It was, uh, uh, if you would, so the pillar is what ascends up to heaven, but the cloud was always there. The point, it was both a pillar. It's called a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire. If you uh, notice, turn with me to Numbers chapter 14. Let's look at another reference. Numbers 14 and uh, notice verse 14. Numbers 14, verse 14. Uh, the Bible says, And they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land, for they have heard that the Lord art, uh, that the Lord art among this people, that thou, Lord, art seen face to face, and that thy cloud standeth over them, and that thou goest before them by daytime in a pillar of a cloud and in a pillar of fire by night. So notice, it's always a pillar. So I don't think it changes shapes. I know sometimes it was always changed shape. No, it didn't change. It's always, always a pillar. Pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. So I believe the shape always uh, remained the same. Now the, the idea of fire by night is to provide light. And we'll talk about that here in just a moment. But the point is here that the pillar of cloud was given that they might know that the Lord was with them. And so they would have a visible sign wherever they went that God was with them. And, and it was visible. They could see it. They, they could see the presence of God. Now, I think we all know here, as we think about, let's think about the first day. They see here that God manifests Himself in a pillar of a cloud and a pillar of fire. And here's the children of Israel, and they're amazed with it, aren't they not? They've never seen anything like it. Uh, Moses said, this is how God is going to lead us. And so as, as the pillar of fire goes, as the pillar of cloud goes, we're going to follow because that is the presence of God. And I would imagine it would be spectacular on the first day. And the second day, you would still be amazed. And the third day, you'd start becoming acquainted to it, but after a few weeks or months, you'd be used to it because you would see it every day. And pretty soon it would become irrelevant to you. Why? Because you're used to it. Isn't that much like how we do things? We, I think we all know that we've been, uh, we experience that. You know, you, you get your car, your new car, and, and you're excited because it's a new car. Maybe if it's a new car, you have that new car smell and it smells really nice. But pretty soon you're accustomed to it and you're not amazed by the smell anymore. You're not amazed by the new design. You're not, you're, there's something about us that we, we get, when we get familiar with our surrounding, then uh, things don't really, or they're not that spectacular. They're not that amazing anymore. And I think here that when we think about the children of Israel, thinking about the presence of God as a pillar of fire and a pillar of crowd, it seems evident here uh, that that form never changed. And it was both by day and by night. But after a while, you would become acquainted with it. 
And I think that we as well can uh, become acquainted with the presence of the Lord to where it doesn't mean to us much like maybe it used to at some point. Because, you know, day one you would wake up, you'd see, wow, look at that. That's beautiful. The presence of God. Day two, when you wake up, you'd still be amazed. But after a while, it, you know, it'd just be, okay, well, there's a cloud, the pillar of fire. And I think that often for us in our lives, we can just coast through life and we can no longer be amazed and wonder at the presence of God. Do we know that God indwells us? He says, we are the temple of the Holy Ghost because we've been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are not our own for we are bought with a price. And I think that sometimes we can live our lives and kind of forget that God indwells us and we can live our lives and conduct ourselves. And I'm saying to us this evening, we can conduct ourselves as if God is not indwelling us. We can interact, have interactions in this world. We can live our lives and the way we behave does not reflect that God's presence is there with us. Well, it's just like the children of Israel. Can you understand? When the murmurings happened, the cloud was there. When they tried to overthrow the leadership of Moses, the cloud was there. Everything that they did that was against God or against Moses or the murmuring and the complaining, the presence of God was visibly there among them. And yet they were still a rebellious people. And I think how reflected it is of our sinful nature that we are amazed at the wonderful truth of the presence of God, but often we just are becoming so acquainted to it that it doesn't mean much to us anymore. We see the pillar was given that they might know that the Lord was with them. By the way, Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 12, the Bible says, Moreover, thou rendest them in the day by a cloudy pillar, and in the night by a pillar of fire, to give them light in the way wherein they should go. The next thing we learn in our text, in Exodus chapter 13 verse 21, is that the pillar of cloud was given, that they might be led of the Lord. Now I mentioned this here, that the cloud of pillar was a sign of the presence of God, but also that the cloud of a pillar was given so that God could lead them. Uh, Notice here, it is mentioned in our text in verse 21, the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud, notice, to lead them the way. And so, the purpose of the presence of God was not, understand, the, the, the purpose of the presence of God was not in the sense that the children of Israel might say, well, look at me. Look at God. He's got us. No, the purpose of the presence of God was, was to be the children of Israel. God's going to lead us. So you know what that meant? Tomorrow when we wake up, what, what, what are they going to do? We're going to follow the Lord today. We're going to follow the Lord today. It was not there for the sake of majesty. It was not there for the sake of glory. It was not there even primarily to instill fear in the enemies of the children of Israel. It was there primarily so that they could be led of God and so that they might follow Him. God has given us His Holy Spirit, His indwelling Holy Spirit, not so that we might be less to ourselves, not so that we might say to ourselves, well, I got the indwelling Holy Spirit, so that He might lead us. If he wants to lead us, that means he must be followed. 
And so the pillar of cloud was given that they might be led of the Lord. And by the way, uh, for us, I think we could apply it to Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The next thing we learn in our text is that in verse 21, the pillar of cloud was given that they might have light in darkness. Do you notice here verse 21? And the Lord went before them by a pillar of a cloud to lead them in the way by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. So the idea here is that they would be led not just in the day when they can see clearly, but they would also be led in the night when they could not see were it not for the pillar of fire. Uh, you're in the wilderness wanderings, and I know that we are acquainted everywhere we go, except if you go down deep in the boonies, but everywhere we go here, main, most of the main roads have lights on. Uh, but imagine here, you're in the wilderness wanderings, and the only thing that lights your way is the moon and the stars. And so you're in the wilderness, there's not civilization around you, and, and so how would you see at night? How would you be able to travel during the night season? Well, God provided a light through His presence. And I think that representative, whether it should be applied here to our text or not, we know that in the particular in the book of Psalms and throughout the Bible, uh, that the day is often portrayed as being the good times of life, and the night is often portrayed as being the bad times of life or the difficult times of life. And that God, I believe, would guide them in the day and in the night, and in, in, the, in, in, in the same way, I believe that God uh, brings us and wants to lead us in the good days, and He also wants to lead us in the bad days. He always wants to lead us. He wants to be a, a light for us in those times of darkness. I think of uh, uh, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pasture. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteous for His namesake. Same namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's a dark place, isn't it? What does he say? Thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And so when we go about, we think about the night scene, that God's presence is there to lead us. And the wonderful thing here is that when there would be times of doubt, when there would be times of difficulties, they could think about the light. God is the light. And He is light that is shining in darkness. So the pillar of cloud was given that they might have light in darkness. The next thing we learn, and by the way, Nehemiah also mentioned that in Nehemiah 9.19. He says, to lead them in the way, to show them light, and the way wherein they should go. By the way, God's word today is a light unto our feet, unto our path. It guides us along the way. And I like how it says it's a light unto our feet. Why? Well, we want to see 20 years from now. And God says, I'll show, I'll show you what you need to do today. Just where your feet need to go. Not your future, but where your feet need to tread. And so that's what God does, and that's what God did in the wilderness. Let's think about another one, and then we see here in Exodus 12, 22, the Bible says, And he took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Now, I love this verse because here we learn that the pillar of cloud was given that they might never be forsaken. Do you notice here he says, He took not away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of cloud by night, from before the people. God 
did not take his presence away. Well, we know that, that what that is a shadow of for us. You know, we are sealed by the Spirit of God until the day of redemption. The Spirit of God will never depart. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And here he says, the pillar of cloud is always going to be there. I will never take it away. Until when? Until they reach the promised land. Now I want you to hold, your, hold this thought and turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 9. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 9. Now we know what uh, the book of Nehemiah is. It's a book of rebuilding. Ezra, Nehemiah, the temple is rebuilt. The walls of, are rebuilt and uh, the people are re- being restored to the land. And in Nehemiah chapter 9, uh, Nehemiah here is um, reminding the people of God's kindness towards them. Now they just came out of judgment. But he reminds them of God's kindness. And I want you to know what Nehemiah says here. Nehemiah chapter 9. Well, let's uh, look at uh, verse 16. Nehemiah 9, 16. The Bible says here, But they and our fathers dwelt, uh, dealt proudly and hardened their necks and hearkened not to thy commandments and refused to obey, neither were mindful of thy wonders that thou didst among them. He's talking, I believe, about the wonders of Egypt. But hard in their next, and in their and in their rebellion appointed a captain to return to their bondage. But thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and forsookest them not. So he says, God never forsook you. Yea, when they had made them a molten calf, when was that? Well, as that when the Ten Commandments were given, Mount Sinai, when they made a molten calf, and said, This is thy God that brought thee up out of Egypt, and has uh, uh, wrought great provocations. Yet thou in thy manifold mercies forsook them, not, forsook them not in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud departed not from them by day to lead them in the way, neither the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way wherein they should go. Isn't that amazing? He says, when your fathers rebelled and when you disobeyed God, even when you put the, 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 the golden calf before the people and He said, these are the gods that led you out of Egypt, God's presence was still there. The pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire was still there. God never forsook them despite their, their, their awful disobedience. To erect a golden calf and to say, that's the God that brought us out. God did not forsake them. You know, we are rebels at times against God. And yet God has given us His Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit will never, never depart. Never depart. Now we may grieve the Spirit of God. We may vex the Spirit of God. But He will never depart. Isn't that a wonderful truth? That He says here, by the way, Nehemiah, when He says that He forsook them not, He says the pillar of the cloud departed not from them by day to lead them in the way. Even when we are rebels against God, God still wants to lead us. Uh, God, uh, that's why we know that this is the God of the Bible, because a God of, of, of human conception would not lead a rebellious people. You want to rebel against me? You want to follow me? Then, But God says, 
You're rebels. You're rebels. I know you're rebels, but I still want to lead you. And that's what God did with the children of Israel in the pillar of cloud. And so let me recapulate here. Recapitulate? Is that recap? Or recap is the, the... The pillar of cloud was given only after they had been delivered through God's Passover, the Lamb. The pillar of cloud was provided by God's gracious hand. The pillar of cloud was given that they might know that the Lord was with them. The pillar of cloud was given that they might be led of the Lord. The pillar of cloud was given that they might have light and darkness. And the pillar of cloud was given that they might never be forsaken. But there's one more thing that I would like to apply that is outside the text. And that is that the pillar of cloud was given that they might hear the Lord speak. If you hold your place here and turn with me, we're going to look at a few references here in closing. Turn with me to Psalm 99. Psalm 99. Notice with me verse 5. Psalm 99 verse 5. Exalt ye the Lord our God and worship at His footstool, for He is holy. Moses and Aaron among His priests and Samuel among them that call upon His name. They called upon the Lord, and He answered them. He spake unto them in the, what? Cloudy pillar. They kept His testimonies and the ordinances that He gave them. How did God speak to the children of Israel? He spake to them in a cloudy pillar. Uh, that was what that what represented. What was the uh, pillar of cloud? What was that about? Well, it would be from there that God would speak to man. If you turn with me to uh, Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. So a little later in the book of Exodus. Notice with me in verse 7. Exodus 33 verse 7. And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp after uh, afar off from the camp and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that every one which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. And it came to pass, when Moses went out unto the tabernacle, that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door, and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. Now, why would they do that? Why would they look after Moses until he was gone out of the tabernacle? What would happen there in the tabernacle? What is it that took place in the tabernacle? Verse 9, And it came to pass, as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. What was this pillar of cloud by night? What was it about? Uh, Fire by night, cloud by day. What was that about? It was that God wanted to speak to man. One more reference. Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12. And uh, notice with me, verse 1, just so we get a little bit of the, the context of here, what's happening. Numbers 12, verse 1, And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, and he had married an, uh, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. 
Now the man Moses was very meek above all men which were upon the face of the earth. By the way, Moses is to be commended. I know that he did a lot of wrong things and struck the rock more than he... But God says there is nobody meeker than Moses. How would you like to lead two million people who are always murmuring and complaining? Take great patience and meekness. Verse 4. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses and unto Aaron and unto Miriam, uh, Come out ye three unto the tabernacle of the congregation. Oh wait, what, what happens in the tabernacle of the congregation? What happens there? God speaks. And uh, they three came out, and the Lord came down in the pillar of a cloud, and stood in the door of the tabernacle, and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision, and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently and not in dark speeches, and in the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Sobering, isn't it? Miriam and Aaron, come. What happened typically when they went into the tabernacle? Everybody in the congregation would stand at the tent door. Miriam and Aaron, come forward. And as they came forward, the pillar of cloud came down. And God spoke. And God says, what have you done? You know, God still speaks to us today through His indwelling Holy Spirit. It's not a loud voice. Often it can be described as a still, small voice. But nonetheless, it's a powerful voice that wants to get a hold of us. You see, God gave them the pillar of cloud that they might hear the Lord speak. It would be through Moses, as God spoke with Moses face to face, that the people of, uh, of Israel would hear all that God has said. Moses would hear from God, and he would pass on what God said to the people. No doubt, as we will study in the book of Exodus, there's much that's going to be said. From God to Moses to the people. And so what we learn about the cloud here, we today, as believers, we, we don't have a physical sign of a cloud we don't follow a physical pillar of cloud by day or a pillar of fire by night. There's not a physical manifestation of that pillar. But I do believe that in many ways that pillar is representative for us of the Holy Spirit who indwells us. And how the Holy Spirit has come to indwell us upon our salvation. That all who call upon the name of the Lord are indwelt by the Spirit of God. And that the Holy Spirit has been given to us uh, by God's gracious hand. And that God wants us to know that He is indwelling us and that He is present with us and He will never forsake us. And that, this, uh, that the Holy Spirit uh, wants to guide us and direct our lives. We have our, often our own way we want to go. Uh, and every man thinks his own way is right in his own sight. But God has a, a, a direction for us to go and he, he chooses to guide us. When Jesus taught His disciples about the Spirit, He said He will guide you into all truth. Those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And although we may not have a pillar of cloud, we know that the Holy Spirit is a light for us in darkness. He ministers to us, even uh, as uh, 
Uh, Romans chapter 8 says, Sometimes we don't even know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, because He knoweth what is the mind of God. And He makes intercession for us according to the will of God. He's a light for us in darkness. Isn't that wonderful that although every single person may forsake you, God will never forsake you. He will always be there, say, I'm here with you. That's why, by the way, He is called, what did Jesus call Him? The Comforter. The Comforter. Although we may not have a pillar of cloud today as a sign, we know that the Holy Spirit has been given to us and He will never forsake us. Although we may even rebel against Him, He will not forsake us. Never. And although we don't have a pillar of cloud that literally speaks to us as the presence of God descends in a tabernacle, we do have the Holy Spirit of God that desires to speak to us. And you know, sometimes He gives us some comforting words, but sometimes He also gives us some reproving words. Like He did with Miriam and Aaron, and He says something like this to you sometimes, What have you done? Don't shun that. Don't vex the Spirit of God, but embrace embrace it and just be thankful that God chooses to speak to you. The God of heaven who spoke the world into existence, who could in one moment says, you're not obeying me, you're cut off. He chooses by a still small voice to speak in our hearts and to convict us and to say, would you listen? That's why I believe in Hebrews chapter 12, as I read at the beginning of the service, he says to the believers, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. When they tempted the Lord in the wilderness, they would not listen. They would not listen to the Lord. I believe that the most miserable people in all the world are those who are believers who are not listening to the Lord. But oh, the joy that comes. By the way, I've never met a person that has done wrong, and that has been convicted and reproved by the Spirit of God, that said, man, I was the worst for it. That never happens. It never happens. When God speaks to us, it's, uh, it's like a refreshing. It's life. It's a renewal. But oh, how miserable we can become when we say, So may the Lord help us to think about the Lord in a pillar of a cloud. That's what God gave them. God has not given us that, but He has given us His Holy Spirit.